Grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, we are in a standalone week. I told you last week we finished up our series, Road to the Cross, uh, and we are starting a brand new series next Sunday. But today is just kind of standalone. Uh, and so what we decided to do this year during those standalone messages uh, is we would answer a question that you asked. And so if you remember last year, if you even remember last week, right? But last year we gave you out some surveys. Uh, and one of the sections on there where I have questions about this. I want to know what the Bible has to say about this topic. And so we would answer each of those in each of the standalone weeks this year. And today's question, honestly, if I'm being honest with you, it wasn't asked as often as the first couple of questions we answered this year. Uh, but it struck me in a more personal way than those two questions. And so this one just kind of it struck a chord with me. And that is the question was, what do I do when I have doubts? What do I do when I have questions about theological things, when I have questions about cultural things? What do I do when I don't like how something, am I a bad Christian if I question this or if I don't agree with that? Am I, does that make me a bad person? Does that make me, is God mad at me? What do I do when I have questions? And let me just say a couple of things just at the outset of this. One, this struck me personally because I am a person who asks a lot of questions. All right, everybody? I, growing up, I would question every truth, every answer, every motive of the person speaking. I would question everything that could possibly... And so this struck up with me. I would question everything. And so I want you to know a couple of things up front. One, if you have questions. You have questions theologically. You have questions of science. You have questions of cultural issues. You are welcome here. All right, everybody, I just want to kind of clear the plane there. You are welcome. I don't believe intellectualism needs to take a step and seat at the door of the church. I think that it's important that we ask questions and we have those. And so you have that ability. And so never be silent, somebody, for asking questions. All right, everybody? That's the first thing I want you to know. Second thing is, let me preface today's message with just one thought. And that is, it's in a phrase I heard a pastor say one time, and it stuck with me. I wrote it in my Bible. It stuck with me ever since. And that is, I don't have to understand everything in order to believe in something. And so today I want to just offer you a framework. I promise you I will not answer all of your questions this morning. If I do, you will riot within the hour because you can smell the burgers getting cold. Come on, somebody. And so that's not what my goal is today. My goal is to offer you a framework. That says you don't have to understand everything. Yes, continue to question. Yes, continue to grow. But that in some matters, you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. Because hear me, we're going to look at a story today in the book of John where most of the characters had some severe doubts. Honestly, from the main character on down, most of them had severe doubts. And it's actually this story, it's in John 9. It's coming up in our Bible reading in the next few days. And so I thought that was an interesting, just a time to do it. If you read along with us in the Daily Bible, uh, where we read through the Bible once in a year, this story is coming up this week, near the end of the week, beginning of next week. And so I thought we would study it and then prepare you as you read through it, as you have those questions this week, as you begin to discuss and ponder this idea that you would have kind of something in your arsenal to encounter. So John chapter 9, I think maybe as we study this story, it might help us to see God at work even when we don't fully understand. So John chapter 9 today, all right, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So let's just get into the context of the story. He sees this man blind from the day he was born. And so if you can just kind of imagine, this is like he has never seen a sunset. He has never seen a sunrise. He has never seen his mother or father. He has never seen a flower. He has never seen a daytime soap opera, which might be a good reason not to see. Come on, somebody. He has never seen anything. He's blind from birth. 
One time I was sitting in a dorm room with four or five guys just kind of hanging out. And one of the guys had an assignment from his class. It was one of those charts that, um, that test a few different things. And one of the sections has that circle. You might have seen it with a lot of colorful dots. And then hidden inside of the dots, a different color are different numbers that they have put also with the dots. And so you're supposed to see if you can decipher which numbers are in the dots. And so we're all looking at it just kind of as for an education class he had. And one of the guys kept insisting that there were no numbers in the dots. You can kind of see where this is going, right? Found out he was colorblind in a room full of his peers. Come on, it went really well. It just went really well for him, everybody. This is beyond that. Not colorblind, not like, oh, I kind of see dimly. Oh, I need glasses. This guy's blind from birth, can't see anything. And so at this time in history, this would have been a sentence. This would have been a, a, a precursor to what the rest of his life would then look like. Because we're talking about a guy who's never seen anything. And so in today's society, we have lots of modern technology and accommodations. We understand things a whole lot better. And so there are a lot of opportunities for people who might be blind from birth. At this time in history... Unless you are like the point one genius of the entire universe, become a poet or a rabbi. This meant he became a beggar. Blind from birth. And so his occupation decided for him is to be a beggar. And so Jesus comes along this guy, born blind, actually a beggar. And we read on his disciples asked him, watch this, watch this mentality. Did rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? See, in the times of Jesus, if there was kind of a physical problem, if there's anything like that, then people automatically assumed it was somebody's fault. Like, who sinned, Rabbi? Who, who is responsible? Is it his parents? Like, they must have done something. You must have done something to deserve this. Or your parents did something. Something like that. And honestly, even in today's society, we see this mentality creep up. And sometimes people won't say it out loud, but they think it. Huge swaths of the population think this. Well, oh, you got cancer. Oh, that's terrible. You must have done something. Or, oh, your kids, right, are hooked on drugs. You must have been a terrible parent. And you just, you must have done something wrong because nothing bad like that could happen unless you did something wrong. You must have done that. And to add insult to injury, this guy is born blind, cannot see, is a beggar. And now popular opinion around him is it's your fault. You must have done something. You might, I don't know what it is. It must be a hidden sin, but you must have done something. And then Jesus says something stunning, not only for this time period, but for all time. He says something in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened. This happened, this tragedy, this man being born blind, this man begging for we don't know how many years, 20, 25, 30, whatever, how many years he's been begging blind. This happened, this tragedy that we are studying today. Jesus says clearly, it happened so what? So that the works of God might be, say it out loud, might be displayed in him. This is stunning for Jesus to say. This happened this thing we are looking at, he's not sugarcut. This thing that we are seeing happen so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can you see this? Can you, can you start to kind of grasp where this story is going? This thing, this thing we would call a setback, a tragedy. The thing we would call and have questions about that I'm sure he questioned for years and years. This thing that happened was so that the glory of God might be made manifest in him. That's what Jesus says in verse 3. This is kind of a show-stopping moment, everybody. This thing, can you see this? This thing that we would call, and this is what I want you to jot down if you're taking notes, that is that often what we call setbacks are set up so that God can be glorified. 
And we don't like that one bit. Come on, somebody. It's quiet in this church today. Come on. You are either hungry or you are disagreeing. And I don't care which one it is. All right. So it is. Oftentimes we think our setback. You see it all throughout the Bible in the stories of God's saints. You see it in the Old Testament with a little boy named Joseph where God comes and gives him a dream of leadership. And then like a few days later, his brothers beat him up, throw him in a well, and then have a conversation. Should we kill him or sell him? Come on, that is, anybody have siblings, whoever you just said? Nobody? Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. That's what I've been. They're like, we should. And so they sell him into slavery. Setback, right? We're thinking setback. Gets to Egypt, gets falsely accused, thrown into prison. Setback, setback, setback. And God is like, set up, set up, set up. Because he has a plan for Joseph to rescue the people of God and to bring them in out of captivity. It has this, this setup God has so God can be glorified. But we see setback, setback, setback and God has set up. Yep, David, the little shepherd boy and God comes and gives him a prophecy you're going to be king. Now go back and tend the sheep. We think setback but no, God is preparing him. He's back on that backside of a hill watching dirty, nasty sheep and then he faces the lion and the bear and it's a setup and then he has to face Goliath and we think setback God's like, no, 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 it's a setup. Because now it's going to put David on the national stage. We think setback. Saul chases him, setback. And we think, no, it's a setup. It's preparing David's heart. Even the sin of adultery. And we think setback. And God is like, yes, yes, that is a setback. But even in that brokenness, even in that brokenness afterwards, God is saying, I can still work to bring you to a place of repentance and a place where you are broken, where now you are insured for the rest of your life. You will be a man after my own heart. And God works even in the midst of what we think even what we think. Jesus, Savior of the world, crucified, and we think setback. No, it's set up so that God can be glorified. See, the Bible says we see through a glass. That we're looking through and it's dim for us. We don't see everything and we don't understand everything. We're, right now, we see through a glass. And it frustrates us that we cannot wipe it away. If you've ever driven on a cold morning where you're not able to clear the windshield, but you are late for something, and so you got your head out. We, we hate that idea of I can't quite see. We see dimly, but God sees it all. And so we don't have to understand everything to believe in some things. An example would be, if you will, and I've been working on this, so just give me some grace today, everybody. Remember, if, imagine with me, if you will, if you had a pet worm. All right, everybody? <laughs> I told you a little weird. Work with me, all right? Just, just give me the grace that you would give. Weird, I know. I just worry. You have a pet worm, and we'll call him Wormy, all right? So little Wormy, you have him, and you decide one day, because you love your pet so much, you decide you're going to teach Wormy math. Come on, somebody. You're going to teach him not like higher level, not algebra or calculus, nothing like that, all right? You're going to teach Wormy like basic arithmetic. And so you set Wormy down and you're like, okay, listen, Wormy. And you begin to write on the chalkboard, two plus two equals, and you get real quiet, like you're going to reveal something, four. And Wormy does nothing. No reaction. Because you are a good teacher, right? You decide to change it up. You're like, okay, Wormy, I have four pieces of candy. I'm going to change my methodology. I, I give you two pieces and I keep two pieces. Come on. So two pieces for you, Wormy, two pieces for me. And I give you my two pieces. Now, how many pieces of candy do you have? And Wormy doesn't get it. He does nothing. No response. Why? Because Wormy is a worm, everybody. Come on. <laughs> He's a worm. He can't begin to fathom what is happening because he is, it doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are. I don't care. It does not matter how true math is. He cannot understand it because he's incapable of understanding. But it doesn't make it less true. And it doesn't mean you don't love Wormy. It just means that he can't understand. 
And if you add a third character to the story, so there's Wormy, there's me, and then there's God, the scary truth of this is I am much closer in my abilities to Wormy than I ever am to God. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. Verse 6, the middle of the verse, Jesus does something really weird, everybody, all right? It just gets, it's, this story takes a turn. I'm just, I'm bracing you ahead of time, all right? It just gets, it gets really strange. The Bible says, verse 6, after saying this, he finds the guy. He says, it's not him or his parents that sinned. He finds him. After saying that, doesn't even say anything to the guy. He spits on the ground, makes some mud with his spit, and puts it on the man's eyes. And can we just acknowledge in God's house that this is gross? Come on, somebody. This is... This is nasty. Like, this is all God's people say amen. This is just... And honestly, if you read the Gospels, this is not as bad as it could be. Because there's another dude we have studied that Jesus just spits directly on him. So our guy is getting off easy. Come on. He's just like... like at least it's mud made with... Can you imagine? Like, in today, your, your kid comes home, right? And they're like, Mom, Dad, you never believe what happened at school. Teacher just put it in the mud, just hocked one and just... Put it, put it on my, come on, there would be lawsuits, everybody. Like there would be, state would get involved, like kids are getting taken. It would be terrible. It would just be a, <laughs> it'd be a whole thing. That's funny. I don't care what you say. It would just be a whole thing. My kids used to love making soup. And by soup, I mean, they used to love putting water in jars and like pouring it into other jars and spinning it around and then pouring it back into jars and pretending that they were great chefs and they had a restaurant. That's what they love to do. And so one day, as a parent, I am taste testing the soup, right? Because that's what you do as a parent. You catch every disease under the sun. And so I'm taking and it just tasted off. You know what I'm saying? Like it just tasted like more off than normal day water soup. Like just more, more than normal. It's off. And I'm like, like, what's going on here? Like, try to come to find out they are pouring it on the ground, scooping it up, and then putting soap to make it clean. Come on, somebody. Like, they are just, <laughs> so never eat anything my children offer you. There you go. That's your, for you. <laughs> Jesus makes this mud, spits in it, puts it on the guy. And then verse 7, he says something. Watch, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, this word that means sent, to which the guy said, hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened, but I can hear something nasty and the whole crowd probably throwing up around. I, I got to go. I'm going to go wash this thing off. He says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so the man went and washed. And the Bible says what? And he came home seeing. This story just took, I mean, if it, if it turned as far this way as it could, suddenly it shot back in the other direction. Jesus spit in the mud, slapped it on this guy's face, says, go wash it off. And the man goes home seeing. We could stop right there and just praise God for a miracle. We could, we could say this, call the service right there and say, this is an absolute miracle from God on high. This man goes home seeing. This guy who couldn't see all of his life, suddenly his eyes are open. The interesting thing is he doesn't go back to thank Jesus. He's not like, let me just go. He's like this. He can't even see Jesus. The guy immediately goes home. Right, he's opened his eye. He can see everything. And so he runs home. I can just imagine. My holy imagination. He's home and he's like, Mom, Dad, I can see you. Like, look, like I, I, for the first time, you can imagine his parents. They see their son who is begging and blind. Their son who all of his life, his eyes are open. Check this out. So he goes, let's follow the story. Verse 8. He says, his neighbors now, who had formerly, watch this, his neighbors, those who had formerly seen him begging... Asked, isn't this the same guy that we saw like yesterday? Isn't this the same? Didn't I give him $20 last week? Like, isn't this the same? Is this the guy? Like, they, for you cynical among us, you're, this is like the guy at like the Sherwood Forest intersection. Like, you give him the money, then he goes and gets his, his Maserati. Come on, somebody. Like, it's just, like, they're like, isn't this 
Didn't I? Isn't this the guy? And others, watch this, others of them said, claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like the guy. But he himself, this is one of the funniest stories in the gospel. He himself, he's like, I am the man. It's me. I can see. I can. And they're like, no, 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 no. And he's like, I can see you. And some of them are like, no, it's not. And he's like, I am the man. Now check it out. They're like, then how then were your eyes opened? And I love this. I love this part. So they're like, they, they want an explanation. He's like, look at this. This is, I can see. And they're like, no, no, no. How, how did this happen? And so watch what he says. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He would tell me spit. Made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. And they're like, no, 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 no. What else you got? Like, that's not, that's not good enough. Like, if you can imagine this, this conversation. This is a, the most incredible story. They're like, no, no, that's not. Listen, this guy wants a party and they want an explanation. He's like, somebody buy me a cake, get me a hat and buy me one of those little things. Cause I like, I can see. And they're like, you sit over there. We need to figure this out. Like, we got to understand exactly. I got to know everything. That's fine. You be in the corner over there. We just got to explain this to us. And so watch, they ask him after he said it. Where is this stupidest question in the Gospels, I think? All right, everybody. Where is this man? He says, I don't know. I didn't see him. Where is this man? He's like, I told you the progression. I didn't see till I watched. Like, why, where is this man? I don't know. Uh, that's funny, everybody. All right, verse, dumbest question. Verse 13, right? So now they don't understand. Neighbors and friends and people who've seen him, they don't know what's going on. So they go to the Pharisees. They brought him to the Pharisees, a man who had been blind. And watch, this is why. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a what? The Bible says it was a Sabbath. Now, if this was a movie, this is how this would have gone. Now, the day on which Jesus opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. Like this would have been right because, you know, the, the whole moment changes now, like the whole tenor of the story, the whole idea of this, because now you don't do anything on a Sabbath. Healing is a work and you don't work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus now has sin da, 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 in their eyes. And so they get all upset. So I watch this. Therefore, it says, verse 15, therefore, because he did this on a Sabbath, the Pharisees also asked him. This poor guy, right? He wants to party. He can finally see. And everybody is putting... Also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed and now I see. And they're like, no, 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 no. This, this is not... It's not good enough for us. It's not good enough. You can imagine what's going on. Dude, I don't understand. In this guy's eye, I don't understand. I know that he put mud on my... I know that I think... He said 22 years, 28 years, 35 years. I haven't been able to see. And now I can. So I don't understand. I, I don't know. They ask him so many... I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't know where he is. I don't know... But I do know that now I can see. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, he's not from God. For he does not keep... The Sabbath. Can you see this? They didn't understand. Therefore, they couldn't believe it. And you'll see this is the group. One, another smaller group tries to fight against it. This is the group that wins out. You'll see in the next couple of verses. They didn't understand. They couldn't explain it. Therefore, they couldn't believe it. This man, watch what they tell him. This man is not from God, they say, for he does not keep 
the Sabbath. This man's not from God. In other words, this man couldn't possibly be working the work of God because he's doing something that we don't think he should be able to do. In other words, you just don't do that at our church. Let's get quiet in here. All right, somebody. In other words, we've got the monopoly on God. In fact, we have God in a room in the back and we would show him to you, but he might get out. We can't have that, right? We just can't. And so we just kind of keep that. In other words, it can't happen like that. This is, we know how God works. We know what God should do. And it's not that. And so we can't believe. And so they begin to call out this thing that they don't understand. They begin to say, God would never, it's this idea that God would never answer a prayer like that. And so why are you even praying it? God would never, would never, right? This is, this is what God has to do because if you do this, then he has to do that. And you see this in the church world all the time. People from one tradition will look and be like, God can't be in that or God couldn't do this or God can't even, he couldn't move, he, God can't do that. We have people even saying about our church, be like, God can't do that because their music's too loud. And come on, God can't work there because their pastor doesn't even wear a suit. Come on, somebody. It's just a pain. In fact, I heard in November they eat popcorn and watch movies. Come on, somebody. It's just a... Just the devil in the, the thing. By the way, at the movies, just come and invite your friends. Come on, somebody. It's going to be great. God can't, let's make it a little more personal. I've heard people in our church say, well, yeah, God's not moving over there because they, you know, they just, they're a little too uptight and they're just too traditional. And they just, they wear robes in the choir and they sit and they stand and they do that. God couldn't possibly be working over there. God's not working. How prideful and insulting is that to God? To say, just because we don't understand something, that God can't work through it. The way that we talk and the way that we, our mentality, just because you don't understand, doesn't mean that God's not doing something. If I jot it down, if you're taking I would say that maybe in those moments, God's up to the most. That's good preaching. I don't care what you say, everybody. Thank you very much. Verse 18, we can read, and you can read these verses on your own time. Verse 18 to 23 it's just, it just becomes hilarity ensues, all right? It's just incredible. The argument continues. They keep going back and forth. They keep going back like, okay, they're going, yeah, okay, he is. Okay, no, he's not. He shouldn't have done it, but this guy was blind. No, no, and they go back to the first. No, it's not even the guy. It's not the same guy, right? They just, they go back and forth. Finally, they're like, go get this guy's parents. Like, go get mama and daddy. Let's bring them in. And so they bring him in. They're like, is this your son? And mom is like, yep, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's it. And so then they ask the question that the parents are they're like, then how did this happen? And the parents won't respond. They won't acknowledge. They won't affirm or anything. They're like, okay, I, I don't. Okay. Um, we don't know. Like, they, they know what he said, but they're not saying that for the Pharisees. One, they don't want to be ridiculed. Two, the verse tells us that they know they'll be thrown out. Of the synagogue, if they answer in the way that they know is true. And so they're like, uh, yes, it's our son. No, we don't know how. You ask him. He's a grown man. You just ask him the questions, right? Just go ahead and do that. That's just, I don't know. Verse 24, the Bible says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they tell him. So they've decided now, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. So give glory to God. Tell us the truth. We know this. We don't understand it. This is outside of what we think God should do. And so he's a sinner and we don't know. And the blind girl who can now see replies, whether he is a sinner or not. Read this out loud. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know. You're telling me, okay, whatever. You're t- I don't know this. One thing I do know. I don't know a lot. I don't understand a lot. I only know one thing in all of the one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. 
He said, I don't, I don't understand it all. I can't explain it all. I've tried and you laughed at me, so fine. I can't understand, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So many things that I don't understand. So many things about this I can't comprehend. So many things I didn't even see at the time. I didn't even see it happen, but I know that I was blind 30 minutes ago and now I can see. And so you say, Ben, do you ever have questions? You ever have doubts? You ever have questions? The answer is absolutely. In fact, as a pastor, I have doubts that if I told you, you'd have doubts. Come on, somebody, because I'm so far down the doubt road. I just, I have things that I just, I'm just so far. And honestly, I have questions and things, and absolutely I have questions of things I don't understand, where I ask God, where were you in the midst of that? Where were you in those? There are things I don't understand. But even so, there are things I don't understand. There are things that are undeniable. This guy doesn't understand how it happened. He doesn't even understand about Jesus at this point. These guys, these religious leaders are telling him in the moment, he's a sinner. It couldn't happen. It doesn't. And he's like, I don't know all of that. I don't understand it all. But I know one thing that it's undeniable that I was blind and now I can see. And there are a lot of things in our lives that are unexplainable, but there are things that are undeniable. And you say, what is undeniable? It's undeniable that we exist. Right, you are sitting there, I am sitting, we exist, everybody. If you deny that, you're smoking too much something, right? You're just coming. We exist. This whole thing exists. We're here. The earth hangs. It rolls around the sun. This idea that there are the stars and the moon, the idea that we live on this earth, that there's enough heat, enough things, there's animals and plants and us, the whole thing, the whole thing exists. And so you have one of two options, that either it was designed by a creator or it exists from nothing. And when I look at creation, it cries out to the glory of God. Cries out to the creation and the glory of a creator. That when I look at the beauty of the stars and the beauty of the world that we live in, even in its birth, when I look all around and I see the beauty of all that he has created, it cries out. It's undeniable to me. It's undeniable to me that a Jewish carpenter lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And that he breathed and that he taught. And when he did, people's lives were changed. And he began to say things that were insane, not only for the moment, but for all time. That he began to say things like, I am the light of the world. And they were like, what do you mean you're the light? You haven't been more than 25 miles from all this, this little place where you're in the backside of Palestine. What are you, the light of the world. He said, I am the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Saying these insane, honestly, this message should never have made it outside of his lifetime. This idea that he says, love your neighbors. And they're like, no, I don't want to tell you to do that. Do good to those who persecute you. Like, no, no, no. Like this, this message should never have gone beyond those few miles. Begin to say things like, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go with them too. To love those who abuse and neglect and treat you unfairly. To give to those who take from you. This idea, begin to say these crazy, crazy things. It's undeniable to me that he said those things, began to teach, and then he died on a Roman cross. You can read in history. This is undeniable. But then you can also read that he rose again. And so you can look at there were hundreds after this teaching and after he died and after the claims that he rose again, hundreds and hundreds of people said we bear witness to the fact that he rose and then they went out into the rest of the known world and began to spread all around the world and gave their lives, not for something they believed. People do that every day, but for something that they saw. Began to give their lives for something they said they saw with their, it's undeniable that they began, they 
treated their lives like nothing, not for what they said they believed, but for what they said they saw. It's undeniable. You read the stories of some of his followers. Mark, one of the twelve, dragged until his body falls into pieces in Alexandria. Limbs falling off wouldn't recant his faith. You begin to read the stories. Luke hanged on an olive tree by the priests of Greece. Peter, tradition tells us, crucified upside down because he would not be crucified like his Savior. Giving their lives. James the Great beheaded. James the Lesser stoned at the age of 94 and he didn't die. So they beat his head in with a club because he wouldn't give up his faith for saying, I witnessed it. I saw the risen Christ. So deniable, these guys gave their life not for what they believed, but what they saw with their own eyes. The only one of the 12 didn't die a martyr's death is John, who survives being dipped in boiling oil, somehow survives, and they exile him to the island of Patmos where he lives out and dies in exile. They gave this undeniable to me. These people believed in a risen Christ. It's undeniable to me that this message of Christianity then spread across the known. This message that should not have made it out of the first century suddenly spread across the known world, and that 2,000 years later, we can't even fathom that, 2,000 years later, that a third of the world's population... A third have heard this message and felt the transformation of Jesus Christ. It's undeniable to me that a third of the world believes that Jesus died on a cross and was rose again to life. It's undeniable. Now, in every continent, in every language, there are people who are coming to the Lord. In every language, telling their testimonies. And they all sound eerily similar. That the testimony we hear in English is one somebody's giving in Arabic in North Africa, somebody somebody's giving in Swahili, somebody somebody is giving in Spanish or in, in French, whatever, all these different languages, people giving these testimonies. There must be some website in the dark age that they're like, this is what a Christian conversion must look like, that they all are the same, interacting with the risen Christ, that he has saved them. It's undeniable to me, it's undeniable to me that he changed me. It's undeniable to me that I was lost in my filth and my sin. Apart from all of that, it's undeniable to me that Christ changed my life, that I tried everything I could to right the ship myself, everything I could to make things how it should be, everything I could to wash myself clean. It's undeniable to me that God changed me, that he brought me out of chains and bondage, that he brought me out of the darkness that I lived. It's undeniable to me. I don't care what you say. If you know somebody... If you've ever met a Christian who has been changed by God, radically changed by Christ, had a conversion, it does not matter whether you believe it or not, does not matter whether you believe in God or not, you have to admit that person is different than who they were. That person is different. It's undeniable to me that when the word of God is preached, when Christ is preached and him crucified, that people's lives are changed. That when you see it happen, again, you don't have to believe it all and you don't have to understand it all. But if you just see someone's life change, you cannot help but admit that God is at work. That God has done something in their life. Come on, yeah, we can give him praise. It's undeniable to me that the living word of God is at work in people's life. And so when you see a person addicted to alcohol and set free from their addiction. When you see somebody under the chains and the bondage of pornography and then they are set free from that to live a life and God restores to them what they lost. When you see somebody, abusive spouse, who suddenly comes back to the love and the nature of Jesus Christ and treats their spouse as Christ loved the church. When you see it, you cannot help but say it is undeniable that God is at work. That God is at work. And so everybody wants to debate what God could and God didn't and God should and God is and God isn't. And we don't know. One thing I do know, I don't know everything, but I was blind and now I see. I don't understand it all yet, but I was blind and now I see. The story continues. 
story continues. They actually kick this guy out of the synagogue. They call him back in and they're like, tell us again what happened. Come on, I, I love this story, everybody. You just got to read it with me just one time. They call him back in. Verse 20, watch this. He answers, I told you already and you did not love this guy. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love this guy. This is like my favorite. And he's like, I told you a million times. I don't care about you. I'm going to go have my party. I'm going to have my cake and eat it. Do you want to become his disciples? Is that why you want to hear? And so they begin to revile this guy. Can you imagine this guy's life in the morning blind begging? Suddenly he can see. Nobody believes him. Everybody's questioning. And now they start hurling insults at him. And they're like, you, you are a disciple. We are disciples of Moses. You are a disciple of this guy. You just And they start insulting this guy. And then they end it with like, we are disciples of Moses. We don't know where this guy even comes from. And so this guy shoots back again. He's like, now this is remarkable that you don't know where he, I, you don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. You don't know what did you thought. Yeah, I love this guy. All right, verse 35. So they throw him out of the synagogue and Jesus hears about it. Jesus hears that they have thrown this guy out, that he has been excommunicated. And so he finds him. He finds this guy and says, when he finds him, when Jesus heard about it, he found him. He said, do you believe in the son of man? One more time, the guy's like, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know everything. Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me who he is that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. You have now seen him. I love the wording of this. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, what does he say? He says, Lord, it's enough. Lord, I, I've seen enough. Lord, I understand. And I don't understand it all, but I understand enough. Lord, I've heard enough. Lord, I, I, I don't get it all. And I've had a really confusing day, but it's enough. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So when there's something you don't understand, well, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. Or I believe God should have done this and it didn't happen. Honestly, that's where a lot of times my own questions come from. And we don't pray it like that because I am a smart person, right? I don't come before God saying, God, you should. And God, you, I'm not smart. But I come, I pray the prayer that most of us have prayed. God, if I were you, I would. Or God, I don't understand why you don't. And so we can pray prayers like that and say, well, then I saw on the news that I couldn't figure this out. Or theologically, I had this question, but I'm not quite sure. Yes, you continue to pursue, you continue to grow, you continue to learn. But I remember that I don't have to understand everything to know that the Son of God sits on the throne. To know that God is in heaven, to know that he died for me and my sins. And I don't have to understand everything to understand that God loves me. And that when we were at odds with God... That when we were lost in our sins, I don't have to understand everything to know that when we were lost, Jesus came for us. And I don't have to understand it all to understand that any life outside of him is empty life. That anything we try to do outside of him, because it's undeniable to me, that in every man and woman alive, there is this longing for something more. You know, there's a reason that your dog can sit on the couch next to you and not think about anything and be perfectly happy. Come on, somebody can just be perfectly happy, but that you are sitting there knowing that there is something more. And it's undeniable to me that all the money and success and relationships and material possession, all the things in this world cannot fill the God-shaped void that we have in our lives, that nothing will satisfy it.
you got a bunch of money. You can make this thing last a long time. You can replace relationships and material things. You can keep buying and starting. You can keep doing and you can keep this thing up for a while. But one day you'll either look in the mirror. One day you might admit only to yourself. But you'll realize that all of these things you keep replacing and doing all of it will never satisfy. Will never ever fill the void. You know what that is? God put that in that, that we would seek him. That we would see the only way possibly that we could fill it is through a relationship with God. It's undeniable to me. And so you can say, I don't understand this, and so it wrecks my faith. Or you can say, it's undeniable. I know what I understand, and I know what I don't. And I know that even though I don't understand, even though I have questions, even though I have doubt, what if maybe this happened so that the glory of God could be displayed? What if this thing that we saw, what if this thing that happened, what if this thing I have questioned, what if it's so that the glory of God might be made manifest? What if it's so somebody might be drawn to him? We ask those things and we go through that because we don't have to understand everything to believe in something. We say, Lord, I believe, and then we worship. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? God, I'm just praying that your Holy Spirit's going to speak to some people, God. That we're going to find healing and passion in your presence. And so, God, I'm praying today. I'm just praying, Lord. Help us in our times of questions, in our times of doubt. God, I'm praying, prop us up, give us a peace. But, Lord, help us then to keep our faith. Lord, and I'm praying for those maybe who have lost faith. Restore that faith to them. I'm praying those who cannot see, God, restore their sight. And let me just ask you, as you're praying today, maybe you've got some faith questions, maybe you have some doubts. And so I would just ask you today, maybe life has happened to you. I don't know what puts you in the position. I can't speak for you or your environment or your circumstances, but I would ask you this today. Maybe you're in the middle of it and you're saying there's some things I don't understand. And so your prayer today is, God, there's things I don't understand, but God, give me faith in the midst of these circumstances. God, give me faith in the midst of things that I cannot see because I want to hold on to you. And then, God, I pray for those maybe who had faith and they lost it. Lord, I'm praying you restore it. God, I pray that their faith wouldn't be built on circumstances. It wouldn't be built on the unexplainable or the explainable, but be built on the undeniable that your love for us never ends. That you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross who rose again, that we could have life. Church, keep praying today. There's one more thing I want to ask you. And that is maybe some of you are here today, you're watching online and you're saying, okay, I can see it. For the first time, it's making sense. For the first time, I can see that Jesus died on a cross. For the first time, I can see that maybe he rose again. For the first time, I can see that he loved me more than I could possibly. I can see for the first time, I believe that he rose from the dead and he forgave me of my sins. I believe it for the first time. And maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've just been kind of hanging out, just kind of seeing and you have questions. You have things, But today, you're, you've been kind of kicking the tires, but today you say, I'm in. To say, you say, okay, it's enough. I've heard enough. Today you realize, okay, I understand enough. Okay, I, I don't understand it all, but I see. And maybe for the first time you're saying, okay, I believe. Right now, this is your moment. 
Listen to me, you don't have to understand everything. Yes, we question. Yes, we grow. Yes, we continue. But there are some things that are undeniable. And so if you say that's me, if you say, I believe. Right now, it would be our honor as a church to pray that prayer of redemption, that prayer of surrender, and that prayer of commitment. That this is not just the end all be all, but right now, this is the beginning of something new in your life. Right now, this is your moment. You maybe have heard me say this a hundred times, but you've been kind of kicking the tech, kind of thinking, okay, maybe, I don't know. Right now is your moment. Right now you say, I don't understand it all, but Lord, I believe. And you worship him. Right now, this is your prayer. And church, pray it with him. Nobody prays alone. But if you say right now, I believe, say these words, say, Jesus, I believe. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for every person who made that decision. I thank you for what you are doing in their lives, making them brand new. God, I thank you for every person here. God, I thank you for the ones who have questions. I thank you, Lord, for the ones who care enough, Lord, to ask the questions. The ones who commit enough to ask them, Lord, to seek out what is true. And Lord, I pray that you would give a revelation. God, I pray you would show yourself strong. I pray, God, I thank you for the work you have done through Christ Jesus. That it is undeniable. That lives are changed. That you are at work. It is undeniable that your presence rests, God, with us. That your spirit goes with us. It is undeniable that you are at work. And we thank you for that. We worship you for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?